Hello and welcome to Behind the Mask. Today we're going to be speaking to Matt Kiniston. Matt is a journalist, activist and educator. He's a senior facilitator for the Good Lad Initiative and has worked for Calm, Mind and other mental health initiatives and NGOs. He's currently working as a freelance journalist based out of Beirut. It's a really good chat with Matt. I think we've gone to a lot. You guys are going to really enjoy it. Um, yeah, Root, why didn't you uh, tell everyone how you know Matt? So yeah, we used to work together um, mm. back at Comic Relief. Um, and I think the first day we actually met was Red Nose Day when we were tasked with randomly transporting a massive red nose across London that we had to pick up from a Sainsbury's store. And then it was actually easier for someone to wear the suit than it was for us both to carry it. I wore, wore a red nose walking through London. Matt had his camera, he was taking photos. It was Red Nose Day, so there was lots of excited children about. Yeah, it was a fun, fun experience. We hear a lot about the campaigning work that he's doing for mental health now and, and how his personal journey helped him helped inspire him to do that and gave him a real passion for it. Something else we get on to quite a lot in this episode is, is what it means to be a man as a topic. Um, yeah, there's lots that we unpack here with Matt and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. And then that's probably it, right? And then it's like music. leaving present they framed picture Matt took of me crossing the road in my red nose suit Abbey Road mm -hmm. is it Abbey it is Abbey Road album <laughs> is it the, the zebra crossing the Beatles album yeah yeah yeah, yeah. kind of um, in that style yeah, yeah. and amazing. they gave, gave think... me that for my leaving present it's now on my shelf in my room oh wait amazing that's amazing amazing I think when you when you work in like the kind of industries we've worked in, like marketing, PR, like campaigning for things, you just end up doing all this weird shit like that, and uh, it, it keeps it interesting at the very least. It does, and uh, and also it can be framed <laughs> yeah. clearly as a as a memory to behold. So yeah, I'm very yeah yeah. You got, that's what <laughs> life's all about, man. Making memories. Best day in my life. Best day in my life. <laughs> in that suit, he'll Me never too. forget Me it. Too. And um, on that note, Matt, and uh, we're really keen to talk to you. We know we obviously you've been working on mental health related campaigns for for some time now, for the likes of Calm and Mind, as, as Root mentioned. I think yeah, it'd be really cool to hear just a bit of an overview about some of like the kind of campaigns you've worked on really sure yeah so my um so as as you know root kind of said in the introduction there I've, um i've uh, done work with calm they were like the first mental health charity that i got involved with and that really kind of honestly came from my own experience so I, for, for your listeners who may not know who calm are their um, campaign against living miserably they started off as a male suicide prevention charity uh, recognizing specifically that uh, suicide was uh, the biggest killer of men in the uk uh, aged under 50 uh, 75 percent of all suicides are men um, and the ethos or the campaign that they were running was the uh, based on the research that one of 
the reasons why men um, are more likely to take their own lives is because they're less likely to talk about their problems. And and these messages were certainly, um, they rang true with me, they rang true with my experience. Like, um, And this was kind of in 2015, when 2015-16, when there was a really sort of big movement towards mental health and there's like the conversation really started going and calm um blew up from being like an office of maybe five or six people to being like a, a huge brand uh in certainly and a huge like um iconic organization for talking about these sorts of things it's incredible like you you, you mentioned how how much things have changed in such a relatively short period of time like the stigma is it seems to be you know really changing and like you say that message of just talking about things i know that's something that we're really me and rupa really passionate about where does that sort of passion passion stem from do you think a lot of it comes from my own experience as i said from um from experiencing uh depression and suicidal thoughts and um isolating myself and believing that the I needed to fulfill certain roles of being a man and part of that involved not talking about my problems or trying to put on a brave face or um, putting loads of expectations on myself and all of that kind of stuff. And then realizing actually through questioning some of those attitudes and changing some of those behaviors and looking at the relationships that I have and listening to other people's experiences as well. It was just like a real transformative process for me. And if you were to have met me, uh, 10 years ago compared to who I was five years ago to who I was now there's been a very clear change um in in not only the way that I speak and my attitude but all the way that I think and the friendships that I have and the way that I like to spend my time um so like I think once you go through that change and you can see how incredible it is to be able to have an emotionally literate conversation and to um connect with not just you know other male friends but female friends, relationships, people in your family in like a much more meaningful way, then you're quite passionate, quite easy to be passionate about trying to help other people find that same discovery. And so like there have been so many instances where men or friends of mine have like reached out on social media or even like in other ways. It's not that I'm there with an agenda and being like, oh, you need to go and read these books. It's more like, okay, let's just sit with this as it is as it is at the moment see with what your experience is and like let's try and work through this together and at the same time like explore options as a man like options out of this situation that you're in which don't involve drinking taking drugs having like doing risk-taking behavior having sex with <laughs> strangers all the things that are sort of conditioned into us from the movies that we watch growing up which is like there's a certain way that men deal with things um yeah mostly destructive exactly it feels exactly. like yeah. yeah 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 and and you mentioned um i mean i really you know appreciate you being so open with your own experiences and um obviously if you know feel free to to uh, talk about it as much as you want or as little um i mean you mentioned that you had thoughts about what it what it meant to be a man that contributed to the depressive episode um, and I'd be, I'm sure many people would benefit from hearing what, what that kind of m the, the misconception you had was at that time. I had struggled probably from leaving university to going into the world of work. Uh, living and working in London wasn't in a job that I liked, um, wasn't earning very much money, wasn't in living situation that I liked. 
um, we're spending a lot of money on um, like drink and trying to uphold like a certain appearance and of success. Uh, and, you know, had the idea that if I like just went to the gym or like worked out, got a bit bigger or like was good at like just hammering the weekends and drinking a lot or taking lots of drugs or whatever that like somehow like I would quote unquote like power through. Um, and it, it kind of just led to like a really depressive place. And then I ended up like thinking, actually, all I need to do is to go traveling and like, I'll, that will, that'll be the, the solution to that. And so I ended up booking like a one way flight to, uh, to Australia, did like ran out of money essentially there. My problems actually compounded. Things got a lot worse and I wasn't talking to anyone about it. Um, so, um, so yeah, so it's like the masculinity aspect really had multiple tendrils, if you like, which reached into my life, which was like trying to reach, meet a certain standard, realizing that I was falling short of that standard, feeling, seeing myself as a failure and, um, then cutting myself off from all of the people that mattered and all the people that would care. It's actually something that I relate to quite a lot. Um, I myself moved to London straight out of university and I, I feel like I probably had similarish experience with, with money problems and hating where you live in the, at the start. And mm -hmm. and I can, it's, it's a really strange situation, where, especially when you're in this new city where you, it feels like everybody has their shit together and everybody you meet is like, oh, they know they're in control of what's going on. They've got it all right. And I was actually very fortunate in that that's when I became friends with Rupa that time and that was a really useful thing for me to have a friend who I could talk to really openly like mm -hmm. about things that were bothering me so that's amazing I mean it sounds it sounds like you think that maybe at that time talking more would have been more of a positive action to take rather than like you say drinking drug taking going uh going traveling with with little money that kind of thing mm -hmm. exactly yeah it would have been um I think that and like it's it's amazing that you you found that connection and those those connections are super valuable and they're ones which I I really value now. Uh, if I'm very honest, at the time, I probably didn't value the those connections that I had. I think there was a mixture of things going on, and I think um, not blaming other people, but I think a lot some of the influences that I had in my life weren't positive. Uh, I can think of one conversation I had with a colleague in a very sort of not very macho but a relatively macho environment where like it was clear that I was struggling um, and I wasn't happy. And I remember he like turned around to me and was like, oh, Matt, you just need to get a blowjob. Like, and that was like, as much as it was like a joke, there was also a level of like, that's as far as we're going to go to with solving whatever this problem is. And it's kind of similar to like man up slash just deal with it, you know? How did you overcome it, Matt? Uh, what, the that particular conversation or like... <laughs> no, not not that okay. conversation. Um, the, um, the everything that you were just saying. Obviously, you kind of overcome a, a lot of issues that you that you had sort of ten years ago, and just sort of what was the what was your journey for overcoming it? Was there a certain point that you realised, you know, I need to I need to do something something about this? Maybe you need to speak to someone and need some help. Yeah, unfortunately, I kind yeah I. I had to, unfortunately, my story is one of those where it had to get pretty bad. Um, so as I said, I got to Australia, ran out of money, made some really bad decisions, ended up also um, like making a decision which really 
badly affected my, my mental health even worse and also was driven by masculinity which was to take a job on a deep sea trawler which uh, I ended up getting stuck out at sea for a month <laughs> it's a separate story for a separate podcast maybe but um, I ended up basically as a result of that um, lost my passport um, all my money and became quite suicidal or at least had a lot of suicidal thoughts and tendencies and at some point when things were really bad I ended up checking myself into a psychiatric ward uh, in Melbourne uh, stayed there for four or five days kind of got myself back off to, onto my feet and then my luck started to change I got like a offered a pretty decent job in Perth in Western Australia I made like a, a really good couple of friends who ended up becoming like my main support and then came back to the UK it was like literally my first week being back in the UK that I discovered the campaign against living miserably it, it seems like these things are from just experiences of, of friends and loved ones it seems that momentum is such an important thing and once you're kind of on the right track and things are starting to go right just continuing that and and taking advantage of opportunities that, that come to you with a kind of positive positive mental attitude as people say like it seems like that's that's really important i mean did you did you feel like a kind of momentum shift when things were starting to look up massively yeah hugely um i think because um i was fortunate enough i had like I could come home back to the UK. My my mum was able to, my like my mum and stepdad were able to like put me up for a bit as I kind of ironed myself out. And then like, and I think I saw the value not only in talking, but listening and connecting with other people and then realised that my story and my experience was, and the, the newfound empathy that I had was actually, there's quite a lot of power in, in that, that I was able to then use that to uh, encourage and inspire other people through the work that I was doing. I went from not having any purpose uh, to having loads of purpose. And then, as you say, like there was, there was a momentum to it and uh, there was a strength to um, sharing the vulnerabilities. That's really great. Thanks for sharing that with us, Matt. Um, one of the things that you moved on to work for, I believe, after Calm and Mind, the Good Lad Initiative. Yeah, they go into schools to deliver uh, workshops uh, where it's uh, men delivering workshops to young men and boys in a school setting. Um, and the idea is to just kind of get the conversation started with people at a younger age. For the first time, for most of these boys, they get the chance to air some of the views and some of the ideas that they have about what it means to be a man when like when you ask a teenage boy like what what is it you know what pressures do you feel that you have to what roles do you have to fulfill and then they kind of think about that and then explore it and then you give them the opportunity to critically assess it not many of them turn around and be like oh yeah no it's great <laughs> like you do it's it's just an opportunity for them to be like oh like you know you know they know now that like suicide is the like that's is is a big killer in men and they like they can connect that not talking about feelings can lead to problems down the line so then when you're like oh so if being silent being strong is that something that we want to stick to and a lot of the time they're like oh, maybe not <laughs> that's probably the first time a lot of these teenage boys have ever spoken about this kind of thing 
And I think that in itself is really powerful and can probably unlock a whole stream of consciousness and thoughts of about what it, what it means to be a man. And, and that even that one conversation can be could be, you know, potentially be life changing. Definitely, because so like, I should also say that like the organisation was funded by like founded by like women who um, could see the um, importance of involving men in these conversations because a lot of the times it's been. Uh, women who have been I guess picking up the emotional labor of like dealing with men's problems usually by the time that they're old enough that they've developed some of these attitudes which cannot be helpful and it's like women then putting in more work to try and get men to talk about their emotions and then that can often be siloed in a relationship where men can only be vulnerable to their partners but then go back out into the world and reproduce that form of masculinity which we all like reward each other to be more manly and be more tough and be more stoic you're there as a man and you're there like putting the opportunity there for kids to explore some of these ideas and these concepts because we're not just talking about being a man we're also talking about relationships with women because there's ties into violence against women it ties into things like homophobia and transphobia and other topics that when you're talking about these kind of issues dependent on how much the boys have either consumed online or through other conversations that are going on in the media uh, you can often get like a bit of backlash and you can often get like boys who are just trying to be edgy and just say something to be um transgressive to what you're talking about like just a bit like uh disruptive some of the best classes and some of the best groups that i've worked with have often started in that place of like no this is rubbish the boys end up just uh, a lot of the time at least moving one or two steps forward in their understanding uh, and their ability to relate to each other in a slightly healthier way which is essentially the goal for the school's part what you're saying just going back there to the impact that it has on women one of the things that we tom and i are really keen to explore in this podcast is how by sort of looking and sort of changing the attitudes of men the lives of girls and women can also be bettered and i saw that this is obviously something that the the, that the good lad initiative supports a lot i saw something on the website actually that said um we're starting a vital conversation about the state of gender inequality that helps boys become aware of the issues but crucially also makes them part of the solution it's all well and good saying that like like as men we need to be more open and more like in touch with our feelings and more emotionally literate we also do need to take some responsibility for for it as well like it's as i say like in relationships it can often be quite easy to just like put all of the what we call emotional labor onto your partner and just be like I've got these insecurities. I've grown up with these problems. These are how they're manifesting. These are the conversations. This is all on you. And like, and you can put that all onto your partner and she has to deal with it uh, or he or she has to deal with it. And like what I think is less labor intensive for that partner is to be like, well, actually I've got a lot of opportunities here with my friendship circles um, within my groups that are like, I can actually lean on. It's, it's like getting us to question where these notions come from of masculinities like being strong being the stoic being the main bread breadwinner being the like the earner of the household having all the power being right about everything being able to talk over anybody at any time interrupt conversations all those kind of things which can be a little bit over 
bearing for other people. Like there's a, there is a direct link to that power and to more toxic manifestations of that power, which can, can come out as in abusive relationships. And that's actually what one of the main things of the workshop is to try and tackle. One in three girls experience unwanted um, sexual touching whilst at secondary school, which is which is crazy, really. But it, I don't know whether you've seen like any results or had any feedback in terms of changes that that you've seen in terms of boys' behaviour towards girls as well. I I can tell you that there have definitely been schools which we've gone into where they've clearly had issues um with that kind of thing where they clearly had like unwanted touching sexual harassment um and you know i think one interesting thing would be to like find statistics and see how these workshops may affect in those areas but there are so many like other factors that come into it but we have definitely been into schools where like we've worked with them over a period of several years and the head of pshe has like clearly said that we're having a positive impact over a period of time. And you can see that the boys are uh, maturing. However, big caveat to that is that the workshops that are delivered in schools are limited to the fact that they're only like maybe up to three hours once a year. And actually this work that needs doing needs to be more than that. Like it, it requires uh, youth workers. It requires like it to be part of the curriculum um, because a lot of the time you are in there unearthing some some deep problems um and then to just go in have a quick discussion about it be like okay cool like we've now come to a new realization about what it means to be a man good luck for the rest of the year like because <laughs> they go back out and they go back out and they can they're, they're back into their social groups where they're still hearing the same sort of stereotypical ideas of you know manliness being on your program being like tough and they're still going out consuming the same media they're still watching the same movies all of that stuff is happening in in the background all of that kind of conditioning um and you're there for like three hours in a year to be like maybe we should think a little bit more about this (laughs) well well, you spoke you spoke about movies and and tv and relationships these these boys have do do you think that a lot of these issues and ways of thinking come from societal causes i mean how how much from your experience do you, do you think the balance sits between societal influence and things that are kind of hardwired mm-hmm. into into a man essentially yeah, it's super interesting i think i grew up with certainly deeply embedded motions of what it who it was that i wanted to be based on people that i'd seen films that i'd watched like men who I admired, who I wanted to be like, and it didn't work for me. There, you know, there's certain, you can go down the sort of biological arguments of like, there's a certain amount more testosterone that men, testosterone that men typically have, or there's, you know, certain slight changes in our uh, anatomy, which means that we will behave in a slightly different way. But actually, a lot of the time, I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we can change our behavior, we can change the way we think, we can change our attitudes. So if we can change it, then that it can be easily molded as well and we can be easily changed. And so that to me sounds more like nurture to me. So like 
as I said, the person who I was five, six years ago is different to the person who I am, who I am now. And that's got nothing to do with the biological makeup. That's got everything to do with the people who I'm talking to, the conversations that I'm having, the things that I'm reading, um, and like the food that I'm eating and the sleep that I'm getting, like all of that yeah. kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah. I spent a lot of time on my psychology degree looking at studies in, into these exact topics. And I think my like opinion that I took from it was basically exactly what you said, where sure that, you know, both things are, are involved but like you say the way that people can change so much and opinions can be molded like you say and behavioral patterns i think it's a massive thing the societal influence and the the nurture aspect absolutely massive and i think you know that's surely why you know the things you're doing with the good lad initiative and all the campaigning and and i guess what we want to do with this podcast as well eventually is you know hopefully play some some big role in in making positive change because we know it's so important. The work never stops, even if it's on an interpersonal basis, if it's a conversation that you're having with your, you know, an old friend or a schoolmate or like someone at work, like it's, it is a constant conversation. It's constant learning. It doesn't have to be like a big grand statement, like a lot of the sort of resistance to um, stereotypical tropes or like um, unhelpful thoughts and like, I guess you could call it patriarchy, whatever you want to call it. A lot of that is just essentially in being a good version of yourself and trying to help people through sticky situations and helping people see like that there's light at the end of the tunnel and that like, you know, it's it's all in the interpersonal like day by day interactions in my view. With the work you've done with teenage boys in particular, do you think that that period is particularly important? I mean, would you say that's the formative years where future behaviors can really be molded and, and kind of influenced in in some ways i went to an all boys secondary school and there's a jokey aspect to it there's a humorous aspect to like being a bit of a lad and being a bit of a joker and being at like getting all the girls and all that kind of stuff but like really none of it is getting challenged and like I don't think some of those ridiculous like attitudes leave people when they leave school. I think we take a lot of that on into our adulthood. And so like, for instance, going to an all boys school, you develop ideas of what it, what a woman's role is and you develop homophobia. Like you develop like, um, attitudes, particularly for instance, I went to a very white school. Um, and so there are attitudes which you have towards people who don't look like you, which develop and are left unchallenged. And then you take that person and you just put them out into the wider world. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, just there you go. It's, yeah. Some of it is really twisted, really, really twisted because of the way that we're just yeah. like goading each other on to basically be dickheads. <laughs> um, <laughs> The, I don't know whether you saw on the um, on the news recently. Um, so Pearson, I think they're uh, an exam board, or uh, they, they make like the textbooks and and kind of make a lot of the exam content. And so what they've done is um, they've launched some fresh guidelines for their school textbooks and exams about gender equality. So they're showing. Um, it's, well, the, the, essentially, I've got the I've got the Sky News article up here. And um, I guess this is kind of a, a conversation of its own. But the the headline of the Sky News article is women and women and girls are about to be portrayed in textbooks a lot differently. And then the sub the sub headline is the guidelines include advice to show girls dressed as firefighters and boys playing in a pretend kitchen. 
Um, so I guess show, showing you know gender roles in in diverse situations, but it's just interesting there that the they're going to be promoting women and girls in traditionally masculine roles and vice versa. So this could include girls dressed as firefighters, astronauts, or playing with trucks, and boys watering plants, playing in a pretend kitchen, or performing a dance competition. Yep, it's it's a good example of of people and organisations kind of analysing what their position in the world is and what in what way they can influence something positive. So obviously Pearson, the thing they can influence is how situations are presented in, in kids' textbooks. And then yourself, Matt, obviously you've had quite a serious, you know, issue with mental health in the past and that's then your position is quite powerful in sharing your experience with people and speaking to people directly. And I mean I wonder what they'll be like in twenty years from now. I mean what will be the next the next thing that they're trying to change. Yeah, well, if we've got men watering p- plants in 2020, um, I wonder what we'll have by 2040. Um, there's just one or, one or two things I was really keen to pick your brains on. You mentioned you do these workshops with, with teenage boys. I'd really love to know, when you ask them what it means to be a man, what what is, would you say, the most typical response so one exercise we did you put the boys into the middle of the room and you say okay i'm going to read out a statement if you really really agree with the statement you stand on one side of the room if you really disagree with the statement you stand on the other side of the room and then after that we're going to have a conversation about that statement and if you change your mind you can move to where you know you can move to the other side of the room or you can move to a part of the room where you feel like represents your view so uh, the statement that I remember reading out was uh, it is a man's role to provide for his family. It's a man's role to earn the money to provide for his family. And most of the boys walk over to the wall where it says like they strongly agree. And there's maybe like one or two boys who stand on the other side of the room and strongly disagree. And there's like a couple in the middle who haven't made up their minds. And so... You know, the boys who are standing by the wall where they strongly agree are like, yeah, yeah, no, it's, you know, it's up to the man. We've got to do it. We've got to go out and earn big P and make lots of money and, um, you know, come home um, and bring home the bacon, all that kind of cliche stuff. And then um, I remember going to the boy who was standing on by the wall where it says, like, he strongly disagrees. Uh, and I was like, and what about you, mate? Why, why are you standing over there? And he was like, well, I only live with my mum and she does everything and so at that point like all the boys then just like walked across the room to the other side and they were just like because he was just like like my mom does everything she's amazing and like um like so it's it's literally not true it's it's actually not true Like, like that statement is not correct in my existence and like and it isn't in so many people's existence. And um, it just, it was like, enough, like I wouldn't say that that moment changed their minds forever and they were suddenly enlightened, but it was enough to get them to change their mind about a notion which they had and which they all agreed with at first. And then it was just like, oh, actually, that's not what reality is like. <laughs> that's, that's so interesting. And um, it's so cool as well, I think, that um, his mum, his mum's... Uh, like influence and, and role on his life um, has helped him um, define what it means means for, for a man to be a man and a woman to be a woman. And it's mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, e- even now as a as a mid twenties man, I'm trying to check myself every day. These things that I think or biases that I'm I spot and I'm aware that you know there's so much we don't know and and so much we have to unlearn. 
It's uh, yeah. yeah. There's a lot, yeah. lot of work to do. It's constant work. Constant work. Constant work. Nice. It's yeah. it's been an incredible chat, and um, just wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I know you're a very busy man. My pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much, guys, and thank you for what you're doing. And um, I can't can't wait to listen to listen to the podcast or listen to more of your episodes as well. I'm not so much of a fan of listening to myself back, but I will. Uh, yeah, um... me neither. It's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Right. I'm going to stop recording now. I think it's I think it's all gone well. Thanks so much to Matt Kinniston for joining us today. This podcast was produced by Tom and myself and sound designed by Jack Sutterby. Follow us on Instagram at Behind the Mask Podcast.